Father God, thank you. Thank you, God, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you, God, for changing our lives. Thank you, God, for speaking to us, even though we have cut you off in so many ways, that through our sin, through our selfishness, God, we've closed our ears off to you, but you still speak to us. Just as Kayla said, that God, when we have gone astray, you continue to reach out to us. You continue to pour into us. You continue to crush our lives if necessary in order for us to come back to you. And God, I praise your name for the times when when I have strayed away from you, God, you have brought turmoil and you have brought trouble into my life so that I might be drawn back to you. God, I thank you for the times that I have been at the rock bottom place in my life so that I could see that Jesus Christ was the rock at the bottom. And God, I praise your name for that. And I praise your name, God, for the people that you brought into this place. There are people right now. And God, they are literally at rock bottom. They feel empty, alone, and afraid, and they feel like there is no hope for them. God, I pray that you would change their life through the power of your word, that you would change their life through your Holy Spirit. God, we, we, I don't know what you have in store for this word. I don't know how this word is going to speak to people. I don't know how it is going to challenge them. But God, I know that your word never returns void. And I can rejoice in the fact that your Holy Spirit will move between my lips and their ears to change people's lives through the power of your word. So God, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that you would anoint the words that come from this book into people's lives. God, for the power of your Holy Spirit to rain down on them and for them to understand you like they never have before. God, thank you so much for this time to proclaim your good news through the power of your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. In my lowly human perspective, this message does not match up with what God is doing in this place and how the Holy Spirit is moving. But the good news is... I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to share your word, his word with you, and uh, we're going to see what God does through that. I'm not going to be afraid or ashamed. I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to be selfish. I'm going to try to let God just speak to you through his word. Well, like I say, in my humble, feeble, stupid, earthly mind, I cannot wrap my mind around the fact that God's going to use this word in order to challenge some people. Um. I'm the pastor here at Simple Church. My name's Kenny. I have two names, actually. I go by Ken. Uh, at, I have a job, a full-time job. I work in Hoover, Alabama. I work for a blood plasma company, actually. I work for a company that takes blood plasma from donors and turns it into pharmaceutical products. Some of those products are uh, for people who have fact, uh, hemophilia, which means that they are free bleeders. They get cut and the bleeding won't stop. They continue to bleed and bleed and bleed. We also make uh, some other stuff. One of them is called intravenous immunoglobulin, which is a booster for your immune system so that if you uh, have a suppressed immune system because maybe you're undergoing chemotherapy or what have you, they can give you this bag of stuff and it will boost your immune system. Those are two of the products we make, but we make some others. So I Everybody's like, I had no idea, Kenny, you were like an ultra geek. I had no idea that you were on that level, you know. Well, what I, I actually have two places that I work. One is in Hoover, Alabama. One is in Covington, Georgia, a brand new plant where they manufacture some of these pharmaceutical products. 
And I work in the laboratory where they test the plasma that comes in from the donors to make sure that it doesn't have hepatitis or HIV or syphilis or any of these bloodborne pathogens that could be like dangerous to somebody who gets our products, right? So I work in the laboratory as an IT geek managing the IT people to make sure that these systems that test the plasma work like they're supposed to. And everybody in here is going like, I thought you were a full-time pastor. No, I get that a lot. Man, I thought ministry was your full-time occupation. I just thought that's what you did all the time. I thought you answered the phone when people called and made sure that everybody was happy and that all the people in the hospitals are visited, and I thought that's what you did. Uh, no, I, I am a bivocational pastor. Uh, actually, this is kind of what I do as a hobby, as a matter of fact. So I have a full-time job, and then I do this as well because God has put this calling on my life. And when I, I gave Jesus Christ and, and, and a blank check in my life, and I said, God, whatever you have me to do, I'll do that. And, and there were times, actually, when I felt guilty about the fact that I wasn't going into full-time ministry, that I wasn't doing this all the time. Like, like I felt like there must be something wrong with me because... I'm doing this other thing as well as gospel ministry at the same time. Can you do that? I felt, I felt bad. I felt like, well, I, Kenny's not really sold out completely to the gospel because he's just kind of half in. He's not all the way in. And this is, this is I think that's a lie. I, I think I've come to understand that it's a lie. That whatever God has called you to in your life, that, that you, you should do that. And for some people, that is full-time, full vocation, all-the-time ministry. But I think there's a lot of people. That, that, there's, forgive me for being on a soapbox here a little bit, but there's a lot of people in full-time ministry. They need to get a J-O-B. I, I, think, I think there's a lot of people that I've seen over the years... I know what they do for eight hours a day, and they need to get a J-O-B, because I believe that we're to be very careful with how we're to use the money that God has given us. And for me, for my life, I'm going to err on the side of safety, and I'm going to be very slow and very deliberate before I ever become full-time into gospel ministry, before this becomes my full-time vocation, before somebody is paying me every single week to stand up here and do this, before this becomes my full-time job, it, it is going to be a slow process before I ever do that. Because I believe that we're to be very careful about how we're to spend this money that God has given us. And, and I, I'm crazy about it. I'm crazy obsessive about it. We're going to read a passage this morning. We're on a series called Giving. we put our little logo up on the screen there. Everybody's like, well, good. Another sermon from a pastor about giving. I can't wait on this. I'm sure it's going to be about how much money we're supposed to put in the offering plate, right? Well, no, because we don't have offering plates here. We have gray buckets. Do you think that we're going to short-side God by saying, you know what, God, I'm going to write you a check? Jesus, you know what I gave when I gave my life to you? I gave you my checkbook. So whatever amounts you want me to write, that's what I'll put down, and that's what I'll put in the bucket. You say, well, that's, that's enough, right? 
That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to, to write a check. It's a tenth of what I, what I earn. I'm supposed to give that. Is it, is it a tenth of gross? Is it a tenth from net? I don't, I don't really know, but, but I'm supposed to give a tenth, and that's supposed to go to Jesus, right? No. No. You're supposed to give everything to Jesus. And this has nothing to do with your checkbook. I'm talking about giving your life to Jesus Christ. I'm talking about when you wake up, when you pray, when you ask God and beg God, what am I supposed to do with my life? You seek his will in such a way that you, you don't care about your checkbook. You don't give a rip if it has zero or a million dollars. It doesn't matter because it all belongs to Jesus anyway. When you look at your life and you look at your vocation, you say, this is what I do. What if I lose my job? I'm going to be, I'm going to be devastated. And what's going to happen to my family? And you go, I don't care, but Jesus matters to me. And Jesus is all that matters to me. He owns my life. So if he owns my life, he owns everything about my life. He owns my shame. He owns my guilt. He owns it all. He owns me. He owns me. But people aren't living that way. People aren't living that way. They think, man, if I just... Man, if I could just write him a check, I'd get off easy that way, right? I just need to write Jesus a check. How short-sighted would that be to Christianity? If all we had to do was write him a check and say, oh, we're good. We're good. I'm going to read you a passage this morning, one you've heard a million times. And you're like, oh, good. Um, Kenny's going to read the passage, The Widow with Two Mites, and he's going to tell us how we're supposed to give everything to Jesus. I want you to understand why I preach the way that I do. I, I preach a, a passage exp expositorily is what it's called. So we take a passage and we look at what it, what it says. I don't come up with a sermon and then say, I need to find some scripture to match up with this because I like the way it sounds. Take a passage that may have to do with a sermon series that we're on and we, we look at the whole thing and we look at it in context. We don't just nitpick. Let me take a passage over here and let me take a few verses over here and we'll mix it together and it'll sound real good and it'll sound real inspirational and we can all applaud at the end of the day and we can all clap and say God is good and we can walk out the door. You realize that Jesus really never taught that way, right? Most of the time when people... Uh, went away from Jesus, it was because they were disgusted. They hated the, way, the things that he said. They hated the way that he taught. They hated the fact that there was truth in what he said, but they didn't really want to address it. I mean, that's the way Jesus taught. So there will be times when you will walk out of this place and you will not feel good. There will be times that when you walk into this place where you will go out and you will feel good. But there will be times when you come into this place and things in your life will need to die. And things will need to be changed. And God will correct you. He will instruct you. He will do surgery on your heart and rip stuff out that doesn't need to be there. Because I desire for people to be changed forever. I'm not just talking about for the next 20 minutes so they feel good while they eat at Lone Star. I, I, don't, I don't give a rip about that. What I care about is when, when you are, are looking back at your life 10 years from now and you say, am I a person that is closer to Christ now than I was before? You can say, yes, there have been ups and downs on this road that I've been on. There have been challenges in my life and there have been times when things really sucked and I didn't like them. But today I am a different person because of the power of Jesus Christ and he has changed me through his word and through his Holy Spirit. I care about that. So let's look at what this passage really says. Let's look at where Jesus was, the kind of things he was saying. This is in Luke chapter 21. It says this. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, 
He watched the rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything she has. Now you will hear preacher after 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 preacher preacher talk about how this is about giving and how you're supposed to give. That it's supposed to be, that you're supposed to give so sacrificially that you have nothing left over, that that you're supposed to give everything to Jesus and and you're supposed to, to have nothing left over. If you are broke, then you go ahead and you give it all to Jesus anyway and you'll be even more broke so that if you go home, you're hungry and you die. I mean, that's the way most preachers will preach this passage. That's not, where, that's not what Jesus was saying. That's not what Jesus was saying. He wasn't saying, look at what the percentage he gave and how, what percentage it was. Of Compare the percentage he gave to the percentage most people give. And she gave such a large percentage. She had such a small percentage left over. As a matter of fact, she had nothing when she got done. These other guys are giving their, their rich gifts and, and they still got an abundance once they give. And people will tell you over and over again, man, this is about giving. Why would Jesus talk about giving in this particular passage? Why would there be this interlude where Jesus stops what he's doing and we're going to see what he was doing. Why would he stop what he's doing in this process to go and, and talk a little snippet, a little, a, little, a little proverb, if you will, about giving? It doesn't make sense to look at it that way if you look in the context of what is written. So let's do what I encourage you to do. Once you hear a, a preacher on TV, once you hear something and you're like, man, I want to know if that's true or not. I want to really understand it. Why don't you look at it in its context and look at what it really says? So we're going to back up. We're going to look at the passages before there. We're going to look at the passage after there. And we're going to see what is, it, what is Jesus really talking about here? Was he overwhelmed with joy because this widow has given all she has and put it in the collection box? Was Jesus overwhelmed to the point of tears? He's like, oh man, she has just given so much. That's not what's going on here. So we're going to back up and go back in Luke chapter 20. Beginning in verse 45, it says this. Then with the crowds listening, he turned to his disciples and said, Beware of these teachers of religious law. For they, are li- they for li- like to parade around in flowing robes and love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head of the table at the banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be severely punished. What? You mean, that's what Jesus was talking about? He was talking about the religious leaders, the religious lawyers, the religious jerks of the day? That's what he was talking about? Absolutely, that's what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't praising this woman for her giving. He was talking about how awful it was that the religious leaders of that day were building their ministries on the backs of people that had nothing. That they were trying to suck them dry so that, so that they could wear their long flowing robes and they could walk around with a place of honor and prestige and walk around like, I'm better than everybody else. 
Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry. He's coming towards the end. And here we see he's in the temple and he's looking at what's going on. Jesus is looking around trying to see what's going on. And Jesus, I believe, is infuriated at this point. I believe he's looking at what religion has become and he says, this is not the right way. This is not the way that my father intended it for for it to be. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I believe if Jesus were to look around at a lot of the churches around, he would look at them and go, this is not the way it's supposed to be. People are like, man, I wish you really wouldn't bash my old church. I'm not bashing your old church. I'm bashing the way that things have progressed and gotten worse and gotten worse and gotten worse. And you know why it has happened, right? You, you, you know why it's happened, right? Because so-and-so goes into the hospital. It's your brother-in-law. You come to Simple Church quite a bit. So-and-so goes into the hospital. Gets out of the hospital and you go, well, you know that stinking pastor, he never came to visit us. He, he, never, he, he never graced the doors of the hospital room. Now, we did have somebody from the church that came by, and they loved on us and cared for us, but it wasn't the pastor. He wasn't the one. And, you know, if I mean anything to simple church, and surely the pastor will come, and, and the pastor will be the one to knock on the door and make sure that everything's okay. It's like, we don't, it's, it's second best if, if, we don't, if we don't have the pastor there, if we don't have somebody, if somebody else comes and they're not the pastor, it's like it's second best, then, then I don't know if I want to be a part of that church anymore. I don't know if I want to be there because that pastor guy, he doesn't know how to love people. So these guys are going to full-time ministry so they can be there and knock on every single door. There are going to be times when I'm not going to be able to be there. I told you before I have a full-time job. There are times when I cannot be there. I want to be there. We're going to try our best to have somebody come and love on you and let you know that we care about you. You may say, well, do they have the, the name tag that says that they're a deacon in the church? If they don't have the religious leader name tag, then, then it doesn't really mean anything. You know what the original deacons were? The deacons were just lead servants. They were just people that wanted to serve. Men and women that wanted to serve. And they were the lead servants in the church. The apostles, the original guys, couldn't do it all. They couldn't minister to everybody that had an affliction to come into their life. They couldn't minister to all the people that had somebody die. So these other guys and women came along and said, How can we help? What can we do? And they said, Well, go serve. You, you've got good spiritual integrity. We know that you're, you, you're a loving person. The evidence in your life is that you have spiritual fruit, so go and serve. You'll be our lead service. We'll give you a name. You'll be deacons. Some people consider that second best, second class. I, I need somebody with a name tag. I need the pastor. I need a deacon to come and visit me. And they have these expectations. And pastors spend all day trying to coddle people trying to meet with church members to say, it's okay, I, want, I don't want you to leave. What can we do to make sure that you don't leave the church? What can we do to make sure that you're happy? What can we make sure that, that, that we're meeting all of your needs? That's why we don't call them members here. We're not going to have any members at Simple Church. We're going to have partners. 
See, members expect to be visited in the, in the hospital when they're sick. Partners say, how can I go and visit somebody in the hospital when they're sick? That's the difference. This tradition that has built up, I believe, is not of God. I believe that we need to take a good close look at what the Bible says about how we're supposed to act as believers when we truly sell our whole life out to God and whole lives and write this, give this blank check to Jesus and say, you own me, you do whatever you need to do in my life. The church has become this thing where how can somebody serve me? How can I get what I need? Somebody please tell me where I can go to get all of my needs met. Don't come to Simple Church. Now, if you want to serve Jesus and you want to give him all of your life and you want to give him every single thing and you want to find out ways that you can serve other people, come to Simple Church. Because I'm sick and tired of these overinflated budgets with all this other garbage that doesn't really mean anything and giving 2% really towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am all about giving money and giving financial resources to the church. But we're going to make sure that we use that money and those resources for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you tell that I've got a passion about this? I feel strongly about it. Because I've seen it. And I, I, I can't help. I, I can't help but to stand back and look at what I see going on today and be sick to my stomach. Because I know how they use their time. And yeah, they, they, do, they do ministry, okay? They do. Uh, it's full-time guys. You know what I'm talking about? They do ministry. A lot of them do ministry. A lot of them go into seminary. Praise God. Let them do that. Let them use their time wisely. But I know some guys that, that know more about Alabama drafting football than Nick Saban himself. I, I know where they're spending their time. I know what they're doing. Because I know what I do. And I know how I spend my time. And I know that I still have a full-time job. I believe that Jesus was really fed up with the way things had, had gotten to where they had gotten. I believe that people had looked at things and said, said well, we've got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. And Jesus was like, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And you said, well, we're we supposed to, to pay our, our tithes, Kenny? Uh, isn't that what the Bible says? We're supposed to pay our tithes. Well, let me—I'll I'll get there in a second. I will tell you this: I, there is no biblical foundation for giving a tithe, a tenth of what you have earned, to the New Testament believer. There is no biblical foundation for that. And everybody's going, are you kidding me right now, Kenny? You're about to cut the giving in this church in half. There is no way that you are going to be able to sustain this place if you keep preaching about how the fact that the tithe is not biblical for the New Testament believer. I do not rely on the wallets of men to sustain ch simple church. I do not rely on the giving in those gray buckets to sustain simple church. If God wants Simple Church to continue and God wants the gospel to continue to go out through this place, then he will so challenge your heart that you may just take out your whole wallet and just dump it in there. Because you say, I don't care about anything else. I care about the gospel. God will sustain Simple Church if God wants Simple Church to be sustained. I will not stand up here and beg you for your money. 
I do not care about your money, as a matter of fact. But I do care about your heart. And I do care about when people say, I have sold out to Jesus, when I see them write this blank check to Jesus, but it's got, it's got something in the memo line. I'll give you everything, but just not this. I, I, this is a blank check, but it's got a caveat on it. I just don't use it for this. This is the area where I do not want to give my life over to you. Please, just not this area. Am I right? A lot of people write a check like that to Jesus. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, every single bit of it, and people are holding back. They're holding back. Wait, I want to hang on to this guilt. I want to hang on to this shame. God, please don't send me over to Africa. God, God, please don't send me to live in Hobson City. God, please don't do this. Don't do that. I don't want to do this. God, please, no, not this area. I don't want this. Can you please just let me write you a check? Let me please just pay you out of my bank account so that we can make everything good and then I can say that I'm a Christian. No. No. Jesus is a addressing these religious lawyers of the day. And he says, because of this, it will be severely punished. Because they have built their ministries on the backs of people that have nothing. He even says, specifically, widows here. And who is the woman that comes up to put the two mites in the bucket? Who is, who is that? It's a widow. Who is Jesus addressing? He's addressing these people because it's a widow. He just got done talking about widows. And here we see a widow doing it. How do you think Jesus felt? He wasn't moved to compassion of this lady. He's moved with compassion because these guys are, are doing things they shouldn't be doing with the money that these people have. They don't have anything. So now let's go on and read Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Now, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. For they have given... A tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. Some of his disciples began talking about the majestic stonework of the temple and the memorial decorations on the walls. But Jesus said, the time is coming when all these things will completely be demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. You know how Protestants came to be? Protestants, that's, that's our religion. We're, the Protestants. we're not Catholic, we're Protestants, right? You, you know how, how that came to be? This guy named Martin Luther, he saw the corruption in the Catholic Church. He saw the fact that they were taking money from people who had nothing and continued to build these big, huge cathedrals, big, elaborate churches, and they're very beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Man, they got some awesome artwork and painting and carvings and all that. That's wonderful. But they're doing it, convincing the people that they could pay for their sins. These things called indulgences. Go and look it up. They could, they could go and they could pay some money to kind of write off their sins and say, well, I, I did this, but let me just write a check and that will take care of it. 
And, and, and Martin Luther had enough of that. He said, we cannot do this anymore. This is not of God. This does not adhere to what God's word says. And it's the same thing that, that Jesus is talking about right here. He said, he said, they just got done talking about this widow who had nothing, gave everything for them to walk around their nice robes. And the, what do the disciples start doing? They start looking around at how majestic the temple is, how beautiful it is, and how nicely adorned it is, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus says, this temple's got to be torn down. Not a single stone will be left on top of another. Because it's not God's way. It's not the way we're supposed to be doing things. It's not the way that things are supposed to be done. It's contrary to what God teaches. You know what the problem was? This, this widow, see, it's really cool that this widow... She had given these two mites. And, and it's really cool that we can look at that and we see how much she gave and how she gave from her heart and she gave everything. And, and that's really cool. The problem was with the religious guys, the religious leaders, who refused to accept Jesus for who he was. This God is, I mean, these are guys that, that knew Old Testament. They knew the prophets. They knew what they said, right? They knew how the Messiah was supposed to come. But you know what? They didn't accept Jesus for who he was because they didn't want to accept the Messiah to be the person of Jesus and to teach the things that he taught. They wanted him to come in and come along their side so that they could continue to do what they had been doing. And Jesus said, no, i got to take everything that you thought you knew about a relationship with God, turn it upside down, destroy the temple so that you'll really understand what a relationship with God is really like. They were confused. They were blinded by their own selfishness. Their own piety. Look at me. Look how religious. Look how good I am. They gotten so consumed with that. They wanted to be looked at with reverence in the marketplace. And Jesus is like, that's not the way. That's not the way. That's not the way we're to give. That's not the way we're supposed to give. I told you before that there's, there's no evidence in the New Testament, Testament that you're supposed to be a tither. That you're supposed to give a 10%. Of, of what, you, what you earn to God. There's, there's only really one passage that really describes how a New Testament believer is supposed, to, uh, is supposed to give. I want you to listen to this passage carefully. It's in 2 Corinthians. I won't have it on the screen. I want you to just listen to what God has to say through Paul talking to the Corinthian church about what it means to give and how we're supposed to give. Remember this, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning of verse 6. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly. Or, or give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. That's what it says about giving in the New Testament church. That's what it says. Do we need finances to be able to continue to do this and for God's 
word to continue to go out? Absolutely. Do we need you to give money? Yes. Do we want you to give it bitterly and say, I have to do this. No, we don't want that money. You keep that money. You keep that money. If you believe so strongly that you've given your life to Jesus Christ in such a way that you say, I give everything to Jesus and I don't care what my checking account or my savings account looks like or what my money market account looks like. All I care is that this gospel, this good news goes out from this place so that other people can hear the truth of God's word. Each of you must decide how much to give. Understanding, it says, that, that a farmer who only plants a little bit, he only gets a little bit in return. Now, some, some, some prosperity teachers and preachers will tell you, well, you need to give uh, some seed money, right? Now, you hear this all the time on TV. You need to give some seed money. That way you'll get blessed. That way that you'll get more back in return for what you give, right? You've heard that about a million times. You need some seed money. You just send it in, send a check in to so-and-so. We'll send you some anointed cloth or some holy water or something like that, and then you put this on your pillow and checks will start flooding your mailbox. No. No. That ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. You know what seeds we're supposed to be sowing? The seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This seed. This seed. I love you, and I want your needs to be met. God's going to meet your needs. I love you, and I want you to give to Simple Church. God is going to sustain Simple Church. I, I, I love you, and, and I want you to, to have the ability to go and buy good Christmas presents for your kids, but only if God wants that. Only if God wants that. As we've been talking about giving, real giving, here at Simple Church, how has God challenged your heart? How has God stirred you? How has he opened and revealed truth to you in a way that, that, that you, you've never really heard before, had your eyes opened? Maybe you just need to give your life to Jesus. You say, I've never really done that. I've never really given him a blank check. I've always had these caveats at the bottom. Please don't go here. Maybe you need to really surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. And maybe you just need to come down here and do that. Maybe you need to go home and, and weep and mourn. And cry about how you've lived your life and profess to be a Christian, but you're not really. Maybe you need to spend some time on your face before God crying and letting your heart break over that. Whatever the case may be, I pray that God will continue to challenge you, not just for the rest of today so that you can, you, you, when you go and you eat this afternoon, when you pray over your meal, that God will continue to stir your heart about what you've heard this morning. But I pray that he will continue to use these words through the rest of the week to continue to challenge you about what it really means to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. May God do a great work in your life for the cause of his gospel. May you give abundantly for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Father, thank you, God, for this word. I know it's not typical. I know it's not traditional. I know it's not the way... It's usually brought. God, I believe it to be truth. I believe it to be exactly the way you intended it to be. And God, we take so many things out of context and we don't look at them in their entirety. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't do that. I pray that we'd look at what your word really says and, and that the truth of your word would really challenge us. 
God, that it would do surgery on our hearts and God continue to challenge us as we continue to think about the things that you have said to us. God, I realize full well that there will be some people as a result of this sermon that, that will stop giving completely. I, I realize wholeheartedly that there will be people that will go out of this church never to return this afternoon because of what they heard today. God, I pray for their heart and I pray for their soul. God, I pray that you would awaken them, God, to the truth of your word. And God, that you convict them and show them that you really do want a relationship with them. God, but I don't want to coddle them with some false gospel. I want to give them the truth of the, your word. I want to, to give them real meat. God, I, I want them to completely understand what it means to be sold out to Jesus Christ. I don't, want to, I don't want to sell them the gospel. God, I want to tell them the gospel and you convict their heart that that's what they need. God, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. But you just do a great work through the power of your Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of people that are here. There, there are hurting people in this place, God, and I know that. And I know they're desperately seeking you for healing. They're desperately seeking you for peace in their hearts. And I pray they recognize that they can only do that. They can only experience that when they completely sell out to you, when they give their shame and their guilt and all of that over to you. Maybe there are people that need to do that. God, their fears and their worries, and they just need to give that all to you, Lord, and say, you own me, God, whatever you have in store for me. God, however you need to work in these people's lives, I pray that you'd do that. And I pray that you'd receive glory and honor from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you all please stand?